Christian faith requires knowing the Scriptures, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, and two, for authenticity, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. To all of our men who were in Bible study Friday, remember where it talks about testing to see if it is authentic? Following Christ, I have concluded, and, and you can tweak my definition. It's a second-tier definition if you were in Sunday school. The primary goal of biblical, orthodox, true Christianity is the glory of God and the ultimate good of His creation. And by good... I mean God's purpose. The glory of God and God's purpose for that which he has created. False religion, on the other hand, tends to emphasize the comfort or the happiness or the goals of humanity. If human beings have a religion that is about making them happy more than about pleasing God, it's what we would define as false religion. Today's passage in Revelation 17, 18, in the first 10 verses of chapter 19, exposes the collapse of false religion. But instead of thinking about them and those people who believe the wrong things, my prayer is that each of us would think about me, have I been deceived into believing the wrong thing? Where have I been deceived into seeking a faith that's about my happiness, my joy, my power, more than that which glorifies God? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 tells us to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. If one's faith or religion does not primarily seek the glory of God, today's text reveals its final outcome is one of destruction. The final outcome is one of the downfall of false religion. We read about the downfall of a religion that is identified with Babylon. What do we mean about Babylon? What does Babylon have to do with my belief system? We are of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Shortly after, God sent the universal flood and God said, Noah, I'm going to take care of you and your son. And very shortly after that, the people said, uh, instead of trusting God to provide for us, let's build a tower to the heavens to prove to everybody how great we really are. And when mankind decided to brag on his own accomplishments, God scattered the peoples, and God caused confusion, and God named the place Babel, or Babel. 
the root of Babylon. So the very root of Babylon that we see here in Revelation 17, this harlot, as she is described, is the glory of God versus the accomplishment of man. And that is the conflict that has been with us for years. Now, Babel continued to grow throughout the years. From ancient Babylon, which was 5,000 B.C., the next time we kind of see Babylon on the world stage is the old Babylon with King Hammurabi in about 1792 B.C. And then he disappears for about 400 years. And then Babylon comes back to the world stage in what's known as Middle Babylon. And Babylon, during this Middle Babylon, about 1385 B.C., Babylon was so powerful and famous, the Babylonian language was the common trade language of the day. Babylon in 1300 B- Babylon in 1300 B.C. is English in 2022 A.D. It was the trade language. Then, a th- then we fast forward a thousand years to about 600 B.C. And most of us, if we've been reading in the Old Testament, are familiar with a Babylonian ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar II, 604 B.C., is identified with the new Babylon. And so we have ancient, we have old, we have middle, and we have new. And the new Babylon is actually the background for the Old Testament book of Daniel and the conflict between the young Jewish boys who were taken to a foreign land and told, you will adopt to our religion and our way of life. And Daniel and his friend says, ain't going to happen. We're not going to cross that divide. We will not worship your God that honors human accomplishments. We will worship the God of the Bible. And so Daniel had the showdown between the false religion of Babylon and the true biblical faith that seeks the glory of God. As we think about um, Babylon as a picture of um, a, a false religion, Dr. John Walvoord, who was the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, writes, When the teachers of Babylonian mystery religion later moved to Pergamum and then to Rome, they were influential in paganizing Christianity. They were the source of many so-called religious rites which have crept into our ritualistic churches. So Babylon, then, is the symbol of apostasy and blasphemous substitution of idol worship for the worship of God in Christ. And in this passage, Revelation 17 and 18, Babylon comes to its final judgment. Now I notice in in chapter 17 and chapter 18 of the adornment of this uh, imposture, the clothing of false religion. Because this false religion is pictured in chapter 17 as a harlot, 
and in chapter 18 as a city. But notice the woman in Revelation 17, verse 4, is dressed in purple, scarlet, gold, jewels, and pearls. And then if we look at chapter 18, verse 16, we see that the city of Babylon is clothed in purple, scarlet, gold, jewels, and pearls. Now, a religious system is neither a person nor a city. But the apocalyptic literature in front of us uses both of these forms, both of these similes, both of these metaphors to describe for us the influence that is set against the people and the purpose of God. Do you believe that there is false religion which has a purpose of discrediting God and his people? And has a certain amount of influence around us. The extent of the former influence can be found in chapter 18, beginning in verses 22 and continuing on to 23. Not believe the extent of the items that pastors are asked to endorse. And Jess, one time I suggested that a clerical robe ought to look like a NASCAR jacket or a rodeo vest with patches for all of the sponsors. In 2004, when the movie The Passion of the Christ appeared in theaters, and it was marketed then that people of faith will come to a movie theater if it has a biblical message. And so when they found that Christian people would go to the theater if it was a wholesome movie, two years later, a movie was released. It was a movie called Rocky Balboa. But before Rocky Balboa was released in the theaters, the marketing team sent free discussion guides to pastors all across America. And they wanted us as pastors, and especially youth pastors, to lead discussions with our youth group about the biblical characters that could be found in the movie Rocky Balboa. You would not believe the extent to which pastors are asked to endorse certain things. Now, I've seen the movie... Rocky Balboa. It's not a bad movie. to call it a biblical movie. Multi-level insurance, cleaning solutions, jewelry, motivational materials are just a few of the products I have been asked to hawk. I have been approached saying the people of your congregation would have better lives if you sold them these goods. Now, if you are a musician, I trust you honor God with your music. If you are a businessman, I trust that you conduct business in a way that reflects your belief system. 
If you are an actor or an athlete, I hope you glorify the Lord in all that you say and do. But something becomes askew when wealth and impact exceed truth and righteousness. I learned of an entrepreneur who is hosting an event under this banner. Life serves faith, business, wealth, impact. Come to our faith-based workshop and you can have the life that you want. We will serve your life using God's strength to accomplish your goals. Now, I have intentionally blocked out the faces and the bodies of the four people that are pictured in this promotion because I have not been to a life search event. I have not heard the content that they actually deliver, but I am concerned and, uh, and, and red flags raise in my mind when I see a logo that talks about faith, business, wealth, and impact, and I see nothing of Christ. I see nothing of righteousness. I see nothing of truth. I see nothing of God's glory. All I see is come to our workshop and we will help you to achieve your goals because after all, God wants you to accomplish your goals, right? There's so many red flags in my mind. And I do not doubt that the four people that are pictured behind this logo in this promotional material are genuine believers in Jesus Christ. But I believe this event has been led astray. And it goes into the path of false religion that does not seek to glorify God. It does not seek His purpose. It seeks our purpose. As I look at verses 22 and 23, I read a whole list of things that are currently happening within Babylon, but then no more. I listen to modern and traditional Christian music. But contemporary Christian music is an industry of its own? No more. I have framed scripture and precious moments figurines in my home. But the figurines in the craft industries, second part of verse 22, no more. Anne and I have attended marriage and family retreats and events, but as an economic source of conferences and products, the second part of verse 23, no more. Christian tourism that is the disguised as mission. We'll call it mission, but it's just a tour of the place. Verse 23, part C, no more. And then notice the last part of verse 23. It talks about the sorcery of this false religion, the sorcery of Babylon. This word sorcery, sorcery is literally the word Pharmakia. Does that sound familiar to us? Most of us go to a pharmacy. The root of this very word, this sorcery 
this um, use of potions to accomplish unknown results. This word pharmacia was actually used by Soranus Medicus, that's the guy's name, in ancient Greece to describe abortifacient potions. In the time of Christ, before the time of Christ, this sorcery would create potions that cause abortion. As the false religion of sex without boundaries is promoted in our world, the sorcery is offered to make all the consequences go away. Even in our own country, there are discussions about access to this sorcery across state lines. If your state outlaws abortion, you can still get this sorcery, this portion, this potion through the man. And then we see in verse 6 of chapter 17 and verse 24 of chapter 18 that the blood of the prophets, the saints, and the martyrs is found on the hands of this false religion. And when truth gets in the way of power and prophets, many of the truth-tellers are silenced by this false religion. And I intentionally have not named a single denomination or a single movement. But there are lots of religious movements that seek power and are willing to silence the truth-tellers if it means their power being escalated. But I see here in the scripture that faith in religious systems comes to an abrupt end. But we also see the deception of political power. We've already been introduced to the red dragon and the two beasts of politics and religion. Now John is describing their destruction, only in a reverse order. We saw the dragon, the first beast, which was the government, and the second beast, which was religion. And now we see the destruction of false religion. In the first part, or in the middle part of 17, we see the destruction of government. And then we will see in our next message the destruction of the dragon himself. We have in verse 3 of chapter 17, in verses 9 through 12, um, the identity of who the beast is. Who is this beast that has authority over the earth? Verse 9 of chapter 7 refers to seven hills. And Rome was referred to as a city surrounded by several hills. And so as the Roman Empire was in place, during the time that John wrote this, many see seven hills as a very clear description of political power and government. But then we look at verse 10, and it talks about seven kingdoms and about ten kings. When I look at the seven kingdoms, I see the kingdoms of Daniel chapter 2. And we read here that there are five who were 
a current one and one that is yet to come. The five that were, I see, as the Babylonian, the gold head in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, which was followed by the Mede Empire, the silver chest, which was then followed by the Persian Empire, the bronze belly and thighs, which was then followed by the Greek Empire, the iron legs, and then the fifth empire being the Roman Empire, which was the clay feet. Number six is the one, he says, this is the kingdom that is, and then there's still a seventh yet to come. That's the revived Roman Empire. Some think it, it may be NATO, it may be the UN, it may be the European Union. There are a lot of different um, political alliances that have risen and fallen throughout the years. And John says there's, there's one yet to come. And when you see this one that's made up of ten, watch out. Because the eight, the kingdom of Satan himself, is about to come. But I'm not worried about this beast, this seventh kingdom, or the eighth that is yet to come. Because the outcome of this political system is clearly told to us in the scriptures. The outcome is that right now he has power. 12 through 13 of chapter 17. And just as authentic power, authentic authority comes from God, Romans chapter 13 verse 1, this influence of false politics will cease to exist when its source, Satan, is restrained for a season. Right now he has power, but then we see in verse 8 of chapter 17, he will fall into a pit. Christ will cast the uh, devil into a pit for a thousand years. And so the kingdom that Satan um, depends upon will lose its power for that time. Finally, chapter 17, verse 11, which we also see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, that Satan will be pulled out of that pit for a short while, it's told us in Revelation 17, for an hour, and then he will be destroyed forever. The outcome of the beast is current power, a future pit, and a final destruction. But this false religion, this political power that sets itself against God, commits a betrayal in verse 16. For these kings who used to like religion, as long as religion served its purpose, they turned their back on the religion that they used to like. Chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, the political establishment separates itself from religion. That, that's not us anymore. Allow that thing to fall to pieces because we do not depend or rely upon her. And then the merchants, those who got their profit from religion, now begin to separate themselves. We want to have nothing to do with that that we used to align. Contrasted to the destruction of false religion and beastly politics in chapter 17 and 18, very quickly in conclusion, the beginning of chapter 19 talks about a beautiful bride, the dignity of the bride set in contrast to the destruction of false religion and false government. 
me at the dignity of the bride that we see in chapter 19, verse 18. This bride, the marriage of the Lamb, is a bride that is clothed in righteousness. She is clothed in the linen of righteous deeds. But wait a minute. I thought the scripture said that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Doesn't the scripture say that our righteousness is useless? Well, we see in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, that we have all become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. So how can Isaiah 64 tell us that our righteousness is is unclean, but yet here we see the linen of righteous deeds. It's because the linen of the deeds of the bride of Christ, it, it was granted to her to clothe herself in these deeds. The righteous deeds that clothe the bride are not of her own initiative. Because the scripture tells us we are created for good works. That's why I defined earlier good is defined as God's purpose. And as long as we do righteous deeds that are in accordance with God's purpose, it appears like the righteous deeds of fine linen on a beautiful bride. For we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works that are enabled by God. Our goodness is not only purposed by God, it is enabled by God. For as we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. God works within us to make us want to do what pleases Him and gives us the ability to do what pleases Him. What pleases Him and we, and we endeavor to do the things that pleases Him, that is the linen of fine righteousness. Not a selfish righteousness that says, look what I have done. One quick giveaway is that false religion seems comfortable with God, but it takes steps to distance itself from naming Jesus. So if you have friends, acquaintances, or you read books that talk about God's way, but doesn't mention Jesus, be very concerned. I was listening to a call-in segment on Christian radio this week. And the call-in segment was asking the question, when did you exchange, look what I have done, for look what God did? See, true Christianity is not simply a set of beliefs that we add to our existing values and goals. The new birth described in the Bible is where we die to self so that we can experience a new birth, John chapter 3. 
The new birth describes this dying to self when we stop relying upon our own efforts, our own abilities, our own filthy rags, and we exchange our self-importance, look what I did, for the glory of Christ. Look what he has The new birth described in John 3, the bride that is described here in Revelation 19.17, consists of those who readily admit our inadequacies, our shortcomings, our failures and our sins, and instead we trust and we depend and we pursue the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus Christ above all else. Paul described an exchange in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, I have counted the things that I used to chase after as nothing. And I have exchanged it. I count that as rubbish, and I have exchanged it that I may be Christ. Made that exchange. The same collaboration, the Holy Spirit and the Apostle John, who wrote Revelation, also wrote other books of the New Testament. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we read, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. If your faith, and I will put that in quotation marks, if your belief system supports your flesh, your desires, and your pride, it's time to question if it's the faith of the Bible. Because the only celebrity in heaven is the one who sits upon the throne and the Lamb who was slain. We read in verse 10 of chapter 19, it concludes with a reminder, the purpose that we are reading the book of Revelation The purpose that we are reading this book is that we would worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As we move into a time of reflection and confession, it is this Jesus that we remember as we share the bread and the wine. don't eat the bread and the wine because I've done great things. Eat the bread to remember that Christ's body was broken. We drink the wine to remember that his blood was spilled. And all glory, all celebrity goes to the God who was, who is, and who is to come. False religion is about me and my goals. True religion is about Christ. And he is the one that we remember. If you did not receive the elements as you came in, in a moment a song will be playing that reminds